Here's your host of Sound Off, Brad Bennett. Thank you, thank you, Johnny. And I'm going to say here's your host of Sound Off, Peter Woods. And uh, Peter, maybe you want to uh, start off introducing your guests from all the way from California. Yeah, Brad, thanks for having us back on again. It's always a pleasure to be in the studio and talking to you folks out there wanting to take time out of your busy day. And last month we were down in South Carolina talking to Crad. And now this month we're going to go all the way over to California from a little town called Bieber, California. We got the Hawkins family, Russ and Helen, his two boys, Colton and Hunter, from all the way from Bieber, California, where you think of California, you think of uh, forest fires and, and a whole lot of problems with uh, the timber industry. <laughs> yeah. And you think it doesn't even exist there, but it does exist, and it's still going strong. And, folks, during the show today, if you keep this in mind as we go about it, that uh, there's a correlation between what goes on in the forest by us loggers, managers of the forest, the farmers of the forest, that when we harvest the trees, keep the keep the trees in check, so to speak, it it, it, it makes a difference. Because I was at a congressional hearing, really quick here, folks, in uh, last week in Washington, D.C., our congressman Stauber was there, Congressman Tiffany was running. There was a congressman there from Montana that had a graph behind him that was showing that um, back in the late 80s when the logging was starting to be pushed out and the spotted owl came into being and uh, the, the forests were starting to be regulated more where the logging was pushed more and more out of the way. And at the exact same time with his graph, it was showing that the forest fires increased gra- drastically and has blossomed and bloomed into more and more and more. So keep that in mind as we talk today and you're going to find out some reasons why what's happened. But thank you so much, Russ and Helen and the boys that are willing to come on and talk about uh, logging forestry in California. And Russ, are you there? Can we hear a little bit about your history in that? Yeah. Hey, Peter. Nice. Thanks for having us on. Uh, yeah, we. Uh, I started uh, logging in uh, 1984. My dad started the business in the 60s, late 60s, uh, and uh, actually... His father was in the woods, and uh, all of our relation have been in the woods since the uh, since the, in the 1900s. And, but anyway, we uh, I took over running the business in the early 90s, and uh, have taken the business and uh, and grown it in size since then. Um, like I say, my dad started in the late 60s, but we we log approximately. In the in around sixty to sixty five million board feet a year, and uh, we do about thirty five to forty thousand uh, bone dry tons of chips for biomass a year. That's a fair amount. That's double. That's double if it's a regular green ton here, folks. If you're wondering, um, in your part of the country, Russ, you've told me in the past that you live in areas that are very exceptional. At one time, everybody was kind of jealous of California, and it's kind of gone the wrong way a little bit. But um, could you explain some of the things in California where um, what it's like to the folks out there? Oh yeah, it's it's one of the most beautiful parts of the country. Uh, I, within uh, well, I'm about an hour drive to uh, Oregon and about an hour drive into Nevada, so I could be in a Nevada desert about an hour and a half. And I live I live really close to the base of Mount Shasta, so we have waterfalls. Oh, wow. uh, we have one of the most beautiful waterfalls in the country. It's called Burning Forest. Uh, 
or <laughs> Bernie Falls. But in, in about four and a half hours, I can be on the California coast, which is just extremely beautiful. And uh, but you know, if we just didn't have the name California behind it, <laughs> it would be one of the greatest places <laughs> in the world. To live. That's what I said. Kind of we used to be jealous of you. You had everything. Yeah. You had everything. It was jealousy, kind of too. You know, but. Uh, um, Russ, do you, do you, would you mind, um, folks, I never told anybody, I didn't even tell Kenny or Brad, could you tell folks out there a little bit about yourself? Um, what really impressed me, folks, out there is Russ is in a wheelchair, and he still works every day in the timber industry. It's remarkable. Russ, could you talk a little bit about that for the folks? Uh, yeah, so in 2016, I, uh, I was actually out looking at a tract of ground, um, uh, a guy wanted me to look and see how much timber was on there, if there's enough timber to, to afford a harvest plan, yada, yada. And anyway, I got done walking that and uh, decided that my wife and I would train my little pup on uh, on some quail hunting. And so we went up and I and I ended up running up a steep bank chasing after my pup and uh, turned around to come back down and I tripped and fell. And my face basically outran me to the bottom is what happened and it kicked over my neck and uh and squished my spinal cord uh in between c3 and c4 so i was wow. i was completely paralyzed from the uh, shoulders down i couldn't move i was laying in the ditch of the road no no cell service thank gosh my wife was with me and uh she went over and and i said man i can't move anything so she took off and had to leave me laying there in the ditch i couldn't move and she had to drive off about 15, uh, about 10 miles, 15, 20 minutes to a place where she could find some other people to go uh, go out and uh, get cell service. And they, it took them about two hours to come in and get me. And uh, anyway, when they got there, it was our local fire department here. And they, they recognized me as soon as they got there. It was, yeah, but anyway, so I was completely paralyzed. And I, they flew me out by helicopter, and um, and I spent eight weeks in the hospital. And at one point, I, I couldn't move anything. And all of a sudden, one day, my big toe, my big toe wiggled, and I I knew I was in good shape. <laughs> but anyway, yeah. so I I just slowly progressed from there to where I actually can walk with with a walker with help. I actually walked um, about 200 yards one day. Uh, I had to sit down three or four times, but I'm getting some of my feel, or you know, some movements back. But my fingers, you know, partly work, you know. But anyway, so and that was in 2016, uh, September 10th. Wow. Now th- this is Brad Bennett, by the way, from the radio station. Russ, that's an incredible story, but how how do you log from a wheelchair? I mean, obviously you have your children, your sons uh, working out there with you, maybe your wife, uh, but that's an incredible. I I can't imagine how you can continue to do that kind of physical work. So I have one of the most incredible crews in the country. I, I've got about 40 guys that work for me, and uh, okay. I have side rods, and I have uh, two boys and my wife and everybody just took over and just took over my job. And, um, 
You know, I wasn't before I wasn't really out there running the saws anymore. I wasn't the machines. I would I would blade roads and I would do those kind of things or jump on a cat if I had to. And, uh, you know what I mean? I would just help out. But I, I everybody just pitched sure. in and jumped in and took off. So my day to day operations now are ninety nine point nine percent on the phone. You know, and I and I go to the woods. We we bought a suburban that I can actually load my wheelchair up in the suburban. And, uh, and so we have four wheel drive, you know, and we can get to the, we can get to the woods. I still go out and get all the jobs. I just have to look from the roads and then I have either my side rods or my boys go do all my, they're my feet and eyes, if you know what I mean. And, uh, and I've been logging long enough that I know every, I've been on every piece of ground for about 70 miles around me, you know, so I pretty much have been there, done that on almost all of it. So. And then we wow. uh, we actually after I got hurt or I I was buying a thousand acre hay ranch and um, my wife had to sign the papers two days after I I had the accident so she was really really questioning what the heck but I I guess she talked to me enough I could hear long, enough to say keep going keep going and so we ended up with a thousand acre uh, horse horse hay and. Uh, Sure. And Gary Hay Ranch also. So. Wow, that's what I thought. Wow. We got to get this story out. It's really incredible how his family came together here and that. But uh, Russ, out in um, Brad, out in California, it's a little bit different. If you want to cut private timber here, here, Russ, if we want to cut some private timber, somebody will call us and we'll go there and we'll take a look and and. Um, we can uh, basically do it either with a piece of paper and put all the stuff down, handshake, and we're ready to go the next day if it, if it works that way. Uh, California is not quite that way as far as I can tell. It seems like your rules and regulations, if you want to do a pri- let's say just private, state and county and all that, feds, but let's just say private, uh, you guys have some of the stricter rules in the around, or how would you say that? <laughs> yeah, that would be that would be a understood there no we have the strictest rules in the united states and i am pretty sure we have the strictest rules in the world uh there's nobody has stricter rules than us we uh (laughs) we have to do a a a harvest plan harvest plan probably averages anywhere from 80 to 160 page document that takes I, I actually called the guy to make confirm this, but from the from the time you decide that you want to harvest some timber on this tract of land, it takes anywhere from six to ten months. But time by by the time you go through all the review boards, and uh, you know, and you got to you've got to flag all your courses, you got to put all your stream courses, all your skid trails. Uh, you have to do your archaeology work. You have to do your. Um, your bird say, surveys, your uh, you name it, it is in those documents, and uh, and that one document, it costs around anywhere from on the low end, but on the low end, thirty five thousand, all the way up to probably sixty thousand dollars, just to just wow. to uh, do the document to where you can log. Think about that. Peter, oh. this uh, Peter, this sounds like uh, worse than an environmental protection agency review. Uh, when I was listening to Russ the first time, telling me all this stuff, and he sent me the contract, I looked at it, and he said, "You're having a laugh or cry or whatever." I said, 
I was just about irritated reading through all that stuff. It's like, <laughs> and I, I complain about doing a one-page thing. <laughs> Listen, well, we're uh, we we are guys. We are a commercial radio station, so we got to take a quick break here. Uh, keep us on the air, selling things as well. But uh, I'm so glad to have Russ, you, and Helen, and uh, uh, to tell us about California. I got some questions that I want to ask you. I'll ask them now, and then you can think about them during this break. And when we come back, we can talk about them. Number one. What kind of trees do you log as opposed to what we might see logging here in Minnesota? And then uh, what was my second question? Oh, um, you you mentioned uh, one of the first times I heard you talk and you were you were talking about, uh, I think, uh, supplying chips to uh, industry that burn them and create uh, energy. So maybe we can talk a little bit about what the what the uh, growth of that market is in California as well. We'll take a quick break, and we'll be back with Peter and his guests, Russ and Helen Hawkins. Giant redwood, the larch, the fir, the mighty Scots pine, the smell of fresh-cut timber, the crash of mighty trees. With my best girl by my side, we'd sing, sing, sing. I'm a lumberjack and I'm okay. I sleep all night and I work all day. He's a lumberjack and he's okay. Uh, uh, he I just love that song. Oh, that's the kind of trees that Russ cuts out there, I hope, isn't it? Russ? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Quite the corny saying. Oh, man. Well, guys, I'm glad to have you back. Uh, uh, Russ, w- w- knowing your industry in California, what do you think the big difference is between yours and Minnesota? I mean, I know that here, what, Peter, we uh, we harvest, uh, what, mainly uh, popple or uh, yeah. ash? What? Aspen, yeah. birch, maple, balsam, spruce, white pine, red pine, a wide range. Uh, but uh, theirs is probably some of the trees out there. Russ, you want to talk to the folks out there? What's some of your main ones? And then if we can get into, like, the biomass and the pellets a little bit, what, what Brad was asking yeah. about before break there. Yeah. Uh, we mainly we mainly log uh, dug fir, white fir, cedar, ponderosa pine, sugar pine. Um, we do a little bit of lodgepole, uh, you know, and uh, that's pretty much our main main ones right there is what we log right in here where we're at and those you know one one tract of land will have every one of those species so and we haul to a lot of different mills so we might haul dug fur to this mill to a to a peeler mill or we might you know uh white fur to another mill cedar to this mill you know so uh you, you you know we have a lot of sorts you know what i mean on our on the ground so yep, yep. sure so I imagine you sort it at the landing process at there, load the trucks, it hauls, and it's all one species going to one spot for, depends on the quality of the wood, I imagine, and uh, what's needed at the, the other end is where it gets dictated to, and it always comes down to money as well with everything. Yeah, we have a pretty much considerable hauls, too. You know, we'll have we'll have some mills that'll be a two-trip a day, you know what I mean, you know, distance to... Uh, you know, our our closest haul will be a four or five trip haul will be our very closest. Five trip is almost unheard of. Okay. That wouldn't be too far, but do you have mountainous type driving there or is it kind of flatlandish? Uh it's, it's a mixture of both. It's a mixture of both. Depends okay. on where you're at. 
Brad, I got one question here. My thoughts on this is uh, out in California. We always think of California as burning up or problems with it and that with uh, with the forest because the, the management has been kind of pushed away. Do you folks out there, do you do anything with the areas or do you have a lot of work to get to when you have burnt off areas? Can you still salvage some of the wood off of that or is it pretty much wasted? No, no, no. On the on the private ground, on a, and we have a lot, quite a bit of private on the private ground, you can get on there. We can we can file what they call an emergency. I've been on that ground uh, quick enough to where we've thrown bundles down and uh, they'll actually catch on fire and some old stumps. You know what I mean? And uh, so we can, we, that that process is is relatively fast. You don't have to go through the big major harvest plan. You still have to follow all the the California uh, forest practice rules. You know, you still have bird issues. You still have all the things, but you don't. It, you, it's called an emergency, so you can get on it. Um, okay. And then, but on the on the Forest Service, by the time you go through everything, the only thing you maybe are going to get salvaged out of that is going to be roadside hazard. You know, where they can they actually, if it's a threat to the public, you know, then uh, they can get that through. But by the time they go through all the rigmarole and then probably going to be litigated anyway. Basically, it's all the Forest Service timber goes to waste, you know, because the, the, the timber only lasts two years at best, you know, where it's as far as, as, as making lumber or, you know, plywood, you know, turning it. Sure. But uh, you can still chip it. You know, I've chipped stuff that are seven, eight years old, but it's tough. It all just breaks apart. You know what I mean? It shatters in a way. Um, how big has some of your fires gotten? Because years ago they weren't that big. It seems like they're getting a little bit bigger, more intense as time goes on without the managing of these forests. Does it? Is it that way? Well, I've got some. So in the past twenty-two years, we built, we burnt eleven million acres wow. in uh, in the past two years. We had one fire in twenty-one that burnt one point two million acres. And I would say that 90% of that fire, maybe even higher than that, was just solid timber ground. Uh, we burnt up a couple billion, I, I, I don't know how many billions of board feet it was, but it was crazy. Eight, eight billion board feet uh, was killed in the 2020 fires alone. And in that one, in, in 2021, I think it was around six billion board feet was burnt. Man, that's Boy, hard that's, to even imagine, uh, isn't that's it, That's a whole lot of real good wood that's gone to waste, I'll tell you. Listen, guys, we've got to take our CBS News break. Uh, maybe when we come back from CBS News, we could talk a little bit about... When I'm listening to you guys talk, it sounds to me like there's not a lot of bureaucrats in California that understand that proper management of a forest, having logging roads, having uh, cutback areas would really save uh, homes and property and everything else from uh, the ravages of a lot of these forest fires. Maybe we can talk a little about that if you're having any luck getting some of these bureaucrats to understand proper management really is a good technique. So we're going to take our CBS News break, and then we'll come back uh, with Russ and Helen Hawkins from California, fourth-generation loggers, with Peter Woods on Let the Sawdust Fly. 
KDAL time is 1236, 20 degrees at the National Weather Service in Duluth, 20 and sunshine, and that might be our high today. We might see a couple of degrees more yet today, Brad, but west winds are going to be around 10 miles an hour, gusting to 20. And then tonight, mostly clear. We're going to see lows tonight around one above, and then tomorrow, mostly sunny. There will be a chance of snow, and we'll get into that as we move along. So, Peter, um, and mainly Russ, I guess, it seems to me that in California, they've built a whole industry, a business, uh, government business just gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And there's people that uh, will count the number of toothpicks in a box to make sure they're correct or something. Uh, But do they realize that uh, proper management, proper harvesting of a forest actually reduces the potential of forest fires? They're starting to realize that here in Minnesota, but yeah, I, I really believe that it's starting to come around. I, uh, I'm i the president of the Associated California Loggers here, and, the, and, I, and I think between there's a couple other organizations really starting to really spread the word out. And, you know, when you burn up two, two entire towns, uh, you know, it, it, within the last five years, you, you know, you, one of them killed almost 100 people, I believe, and the other one, it, it just it, it literally burnt the entire town up. The only thing that was left standing was the uh, high school and a, uh, and a grocery store, I think. And the rest wow. was just completely start burning those things up pretty quick, you know. Uh, and then and then a, a fire come over the top and almost burnt down into Tahoe, you know. And and uh, when you start burning into South Lake Tahoe and then, you know, uh, <laughs> million dollar homes are down there being threatened. All of a sudden, people look around and go, well, how do we stop that? Oh, maybe a little bit of forest management might take care of these problems, you know. Right. And so I really believe that, you know, you still have the radicals. But I I really think that we've turned the corner a little bit. When when you go into, you know, you go into these cities, you can't go into San Francisco, but you can go into Sacramento and maybe even parts of L.A. and say, hey, I'm a logger, and uh, all of a sudden you're not uh, this, you know, bad, bad, bad guy, all of a sudden, oh, you're a logger, you know, and, you know, and so I think it's getting, it's getting a little bit better, you know, as we speak. So, so talk a little bit, uh, Peter, I don't mean to be taking this over, but I'm real curious to see what they do with the wood chip industry or what they do with uh, um, byproducts. Are there, is there a market uh, to create energy with this stuff or how, what, what do you do with that? Yes, there is, and there, and there, right around uh, where I live, there's a lot of it. Further south, there's a lot less, but there's actually biomass facilities, and I am lucky enough to be uh, in, within a hundred mile radius of three pretty large plants, uh, wow. thirty plus watt plants, and and the, you know I've been delivering chips to these plants since uh, 1989, um, and you know, and they burn them for uh, for power. Uh, the problem is that it's expensive power, and PG&E is forced to buy some of it, but it's an expensive power in uh, you know, comparison to hydro and stuff like that. So, you know, that's the hard sell on that. Um, but it's, uh, there is markets, and right now, right here locally where I live, this little part of the world, is uh, there is a, a 700 metric ton 700,000 metric ton 
plant uh, pellet mill that's going to be built, and uh, and then another one further down south, down south of uh, Sacramento, is going to be built. Uh, and so a million metric tons of pellets, which will help. But I mean, there is so much wood out here, and we don't have near the facilities. You know, since uh, we've lost like a hundred around a hundred and thirty mills since 1981. So that, wow. and that's a major part. You know, and, and our forests are getting so overgrown with not a lot of places to take it. You know, um, I believe we we actually import about 70 percent of our lumber we have to import into California when we could be uh, processing it right here in the state. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Hey, Russ, on yeah, that, that sound- one, Brad, real quick here, uh, Russ, on the, on the making electricity out of wood chips and that the biomass um, do they ever take in consideration that you're reducing the fuel load and what what uh, we're creating tax dollars? So there should be something there for the power plants and us that we're reducing the fuel load. And then also, instead of tax dollars going out to put the fire out, the tax dollars are coming in because of what we're doing. Do they take that in consideration when looking at that? Yes, there is some incentive, incentive to, uh, to PG&E, I believe, uh, to actually... Uh, force them to buy, you know, the, the more expensive power. Boy, it'd be oh. nice to do that here, but I don't want your regulations here, though. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, we, we think our regulations are bad here, Peter, but they got to be terrible out in California. I don't like losing to another state, but they're beating us at that pretty good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But uh, yeah, I'll give you another one, Peter, if you want it. Uh, our uh, just our taxes alone on um, fuel is an extra dollar twenty. I think uh, for a for a tank truck or a tank truck, I believe we were at four dollars and fifty cents for seven thousand gallons of fuel. Oh wow! Four dollars and fifty. We're dollar twenty taxes alone. A dollar twenty on your fuel tax. Here in wow. Minnesota, I think we're at fifty-five, fifty-eight cents a gallon. I'm not positive, but it's right around there. So you're you're good sixty, seventy cents more on your fuel for tax. That that's a lot. Tony, I'm a little high on that, but it is. We were up to around six bucks here before too. Wow! Yeah, no, oh yeah. <laughs> what would would it be possible? <laughs> For our road tax, because of all the electric cars now, so they're not uh, <laughs> they're not uh, collecting gas tax for those. So we're going to have to figure out how to pay for roads too. It seems that we don't have gas tax on our uh, electric cars, so we'll be paying more for that. Don't they have to pay tax on the even something when they put those electric cars on the road? Like we pay, yeah, we pay our gas tax and fuel tax. They don't pay any tax on the electricity they're consuming. Not that I know of. I don't know. Maybe I'm not the best one to answer that. I, as far as I know, no. But, well, I uh, can hear a bunch of teeth grinding on the electric car side saying, "Don't shut up! Don't be saying that stuff." <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, uh, would it be possible, Russ, to hear from your wife Helen about what it's like to be married to a logger? Because she didn't grow up in the timber industry, did she? No, she was in the. Uh, her dad on the. Uh, for uh, farm equipment, he was a mechanic and, and sold farm equipment when I married her. But yeah, she she got the unlucky straw of marrying a logger. 
Is Helen there? Helen, would you like to chime in a little bit? It would be nice to hear from the folks out there what it's like from your shoes a little bit. Um, sure. We've been married almost 36 years this year, so we've done pretty well. Wow. Wow. What, what did, did Russ sign your report card when you were a senior or something like that, or what was that? Did 36 years? <laughs> yeah, he walked up to me and when we were getting married. And I was like, who is this guy? <laughs> so so undertaking what you guys have been, I mean, my, I, I think it's just fabulous that your family stuck together with the circumstances that. And I just say thank, it's so thankful to hear your guys' story about what your life is like. Um, can you tell from your shoes what it's like daily, daily operations being in the timber industry in California? Or is that a long question to think on? Day to day, we, you know, our we go fast and furious. We 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 don't stay home much. We're on the road or heading to meetings and physical therapy. We try to get. I have to you know, work at the office. That's not his favorite place to be, but <laughs> um, we have to be there. I take care of all the payroll and the GL and. Our daughter-in-law takes care of the taking uh, the paying subcontractors and the trucks and all the stuff. So um, you're you're very busy people. Yeah, I uh, I I'm just a little bit more about us. I'm the ACL president. I'm the chapter chair for uh, for our Intermountain chapter of California Deer Association. I'm on the Pit River Rod and Gun Club. I am. We're on the fair board. The, yeah, our local county fair board. <laughs> we we are very busy people, and then we run a we run uh, about 150 head of cows, and and then oh, run a geez. thousand acres hay ranch on top of logging. So, so what do you do in your out. spare time? <laughs> <laughs> Enjoy our and, and we our hunt <laughs> and we hunt a lot. I love to hunt. Wow. God. Peter, 150 head of cattle, too, on top of everything else. It, that's a lot of work. It sounds like a lot of work, but uh, it's a, it sounds like also extremely a good, tight family that really works at it hard every day is what it sounds like to me. And it would be nice if more people would do that as well out there, not just in the timber industry, but all industries. Uh, I guess what, we're going to run out of time here pretty quick, aren't we, Brad? So, uh, R- Russ, one question here. I remember talking to you a little bit on sustained yield unit. Could you explain to some of the folks, and I think there's only three places like that in the United States. Could you explain that a little yeah, bit to the folks I, out there? I believe I'm right on that. I think there's, well, I know there's one in Lakeview, Oregon, which is only about a two-hour drive from us. And then I think the other one is in Alabama, but I could be wrong. But the, the sustained yield, the way it works is, is uh, it's, it's about a 40-mile radius from our, our, our valley here where we live in. And um, anything that is logged inside that sustained yield unit has to be milled uh, within, that, within that circle. It's also called a cut and circle. And um, oh. anything that is milled has to be milled it has to be cleaned and it has to be dried inside that it it has to be a finished product and 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 the the theory of it was and i don't know when it was originated i think it was in the 50s or 60s but uh when it was 
the the theory behind it is that way you have sustained work there in that unit. You know what I mean? And so uh, no other mills can come in from the outside and buy the timber out of it unless you elect not to buy it. And so you get it at a minimum rate. But the problem was is the Forest Service didn't maintain that here where we live and and our and our local sawmill uh, closed down, I believe, in 1991, which, uh, you know, at one point there was four four different sawmills right around us here. But our main one wow. uh, ended up closing in 1991, which my dad hauled the very first logs into in the 60s. Why? So, so you guys are really having a hard time uh, coming up with uh, sawmills to keep things going as well. Oh, Peter, I'm, I'm going to ask you to hang on to your guests. Uh, we got to take our last break here, and then we'll come back and kind of wrap it up. So, think about what questions you might want to ask Russ and Helen. Well, there we there we hear it, folks. The little wood choppers ball. Peter, uh, maybe you want to wrap up. It's been yep. so enjoyable to listen to Russ and Helen uh, talk about California. Got some of the same problems out there that we got here, but even bigger ones. It yeah, seems. It seems a lot bigger. But uh, I got a quick question: If uh, Russ's sons wouldn't mind, uh, Colton and Hunter, if you would be willing to just talk a few minutes, uh, what attracted you to stay in the family business? Because you are what third, fourth, or fifth generation. Would you like to just say what it's why you went into it? Uh, this is Colton speaking, but uh, for me, I, I think it's uh, all about family, and I I love being in the outdoors, so it, it uh, guided me in that direction. But I think uh, for the most part, it's uh, love of the outdoors and, and just our, our our family and the, the people that we're committed to. So it's the love of what you do that drives you constantly, isn't it? Yep. That's what exactly. I see. That's what I see on loggers across the whole nation. Is uh, we just have a passion, we have a desire to do what we do for a living. We just want to do what we think is best, and we always do it for the next generation, next generation. And you folks out there are living proof what it is for Colton Hunter being a part of this business, isn't it? Uh, this is Hunter. I couldn't agree more with my brother. But one thing is, like, uh, growing up, it seemed like the greatest lifestyle you could have. And I just thought me and Colton, like, there's, we got to fill my dad's shoes, like, both of us together. And there's no greater life. And I want to raise my kids the way that we were raised. And just it's the lifestyle that we have. That's that's fantastic. That sums it up pretty much there, folks, why we do what we do. I got just one more quick thing uh, about the folks in California. Russ? Uh, Minnesota dictates something to California that doesn't happen anywhere else. You want to tell folks what it is in the growing of a food? I know, I know you boys get uh, cussed out all the time. You guys pretty much uh, uh, take on the uh, wild rice. So we grow wild rice right here. Apparently we have about the same climate. And, and I've been told by the boys, yeah, I don't grow any wild rice personally, but I have a lot of friends that do it. And they go, they always tell me, God dang, those guys, they, they, Whatever they do, they if you grow more than than our price goes down. So <laughs> <laughs> the Minnesota boys are growing, and then it dictates the price. Yeah, and all our wild does. here. Well, thank you once again, folks. Thank you, Russ and Helen, and the and the folks out there, and Brad for allowing us to come on another time for let the satisfy. I do appreciate it. See you next month.
Peter, it's always uh, a joy to have you and the people from the logging industry. We learn so much more about uh, how fortunate we are here in the Northland to have people like you and keeping our uh, forests a little bit managed and a little bit open so that we don't have the huge forest fires that they have in some areas. And uh, I also would like to say thank you to Russ and Helen and her sons for coming on. We, uh, we will be here with our number three coming up shortly on 610 KDAL Radio. Thanks, everybody, and we'll be back shortly.